0: Hello, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies. Hi. So do you know how I often ask you guys um, if you have any fockeries that you'd like me to explore, to send me your questions, your suggestions, your requests? So I also put out the call to friends. And very recently... I got this very interesting text from a dear friend or dear former friend who's a friend. I don't know what the fuckery is between us, but there's a fuckery there. But that's neither here nor there. Um, and it said something along the lines of how he's used psychedelics to discover passion, experience flow, and become bisexual. What the Fockery is this Fockery? Well, we're about to find out I'm Nadege August, your host. If this is your first time, welcome, and here's what you can expect. If you hit that subscribe button right now and follow, you will be an automatic schmoopy. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, What the Fockery is a podcast about the things we hear about but don't know enough about. A series of conversations dedicated to hearing firsthand from the very people whose lifestyle, truths, or concepts we struggle with understanding. The very things we should know about but are afraid to discuss... Now, our subjects and topics may or may not be mainstream, but our guests and sometimes experts are in it, living their truth, whether we accept them or not. And if in that process, we manage to bring clarity to you, dear listener, then thank you for being open, curious, and willing. In that vein today, my guest is Mike. Mike has a Mike. Is it okay to say your last name, darling?
1: Of course, no problem.
0: It's Mike Thomas. Um, Mike is very interesting uh, because of his background. I I can't. I, I never like to start in the chronological order because life is messy, and as we know, it isn't linear. We do not live in a linear universe, right? But we try to make sense of time and assign things. But I'm going to bend it a little bit because it's it's it, it, it pertains to what we're doing right now and what we're trying to uncover and unpack with Mike. So Mike's background is in theology.
1: Education-wise, yeah,
0: his education, mm-hmm. and uh, you were raised in quite a—it's not a fundamentalist home, but it's a strict Christian
1: <clears throat> sort of upbringing. Conservative Christian evangelicalism. Um, some folks in our church growing up would would definitely fall in the fundamentalist camp, but my parents probably didn't. Mm-hmm. But that's definitely the the kind of culture it was.
0: Yeah. And what I like about Mike is that he was actually a rock star, Christian rock star. (laughs) Weren't you?
1: As in music?
0: Well, yeah. Didn't you perform in like...
1: We had, I I had, um, I traveled with with music groups in the college years.
0: Ah, but you performed Christian rock.
1: It was all Christian music. Well, no, I wouldn't say it was Christian rock. It was Christian worship music. Yeah.
0: Yeah, my face is not exactly. Yeah, but. so
1: rock star doesn't really apply. I wish I could take that moniker, but <laughs> I probably wouldn't put it in that at all. Oh but yeah, I did I did a lot of music in my high school and college years, but it was all more sort of Christian performance or Christian music for for church contexts. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Now when you went to when you got your degree in theology, what were you hoping to do with that?
1: So my undergrad degree was actually psych. Mm-hmm. Um and was sort of a, just, I needed to get out of college. I had no direction at the time.
0: Psych as in psychology. Psychology. Mm
1: -hmm. And then um, having no lack, no sense of direction of where I was headed. um, I was struggling with my faith context at that time. And the whole narrative I was being handed. So I had heard about this school in LA that was doing work uh, with the poor and studying theology at the same time. A friend of mine was here going to that school. And it seemed like a good thing to pursue to figure out what it is I believed. Mm. And that sort of one-year program that I signed up for to move to L.A. in 98 turned into a four-year theology degree as a result, eventually.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. So clearly, that was not your path. In terms of you've not kept with it, but you certainly have an affinity and an understanding and intuition about human beings that was probably um, fed through this learning, right? Would you say?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a. It, well, it was a. It was less about learning about how to be with people mm. um, and understand people. I would say a theology degree is not about learning how to be more human. It's not about learning how to treat people better. It's about understanding theology, um, studying texts, uh, studying the history of your religion or other religions and movements that have occurred. There's a lot of just knowledge and book work that's going on there. There's a few classes on spirituality and developing your own practices and disciplines and some classes on pastoring people that you can take. But it's a, well, it's a small percentage, that really. Was not your they don't, intent. Theology doesn't teach you how to be a more loving person. No? No, it hmm. doesn't. It's not designed that way. It's not, it's not how it goes down. But um, my pursuit there was really about understanding what I believed. Okay. And it, so it was just a personal pursuit. I had no professional intentions, really, in mind.
0: And did you understand what you believed?
1: It changed my belief. It opened it up and offered me a perspective on Christian theology that broadened my reading of things. And I I came away really understanding that all Christian, different Christian religions, if you will, or different denominations, you know, they're all interpreting things the way they want to interpret things. And so it's diving in to understand how they got there. Mm. So. So
0: at which point did you throw it all out the window in a a hand basket,
1: long process. So I'm, I was in uh, my early twenties, mid twenties when I was in seminary and I was part of churches until about six years ago. So I was about mid early forties. So it was about 20 years post seminary that I eventually walked away from religion, from Christianity specifically. And not because I didn't love the people that I went to church with. In fact, they, they're, my church is right around the corner from where I live now. I moved in this neighborhood to be close to those people. And <clears throat> I decided to, head, I had to say, I'm sorry, I just can't I can't buy this anymore.
0: Were there repercussions for your walking away? <clears throat> you lost them as friends, I guess. You probably. do.
1: Yeah. No, Not in the sense that I couldn't call them and they wouldn't want to hang out and have coffee. But you don't you're not buddy buddy anymore and spending your weeks and nights together because you're no longer on the same journey. Like your, your goals have changed. So it was a, it's an unshaking It it shakes your foundation when you've been a part of religion and church as its central part of your being for your entire life. It's, it's a long, it's a lot of realizing what you've lost Mm -hmm. And what do you do to replace all the roles that that kind of community plays in your life?
0: What Was, an, was there an inciting experience, something happened in particular that made you just go, I'm, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore?
1: There were different moments through the years. Like I had a moment where I realized several years back, maybe 10 years ago, that I couldn't pray to God and ask for things. Like, oh, help me deal with this problem or help me get this thing. I like I don't think it works that way. Whatever God is, it doesn't work like that. So, prayer became more of meditation and silence at that time in my life and listening. Which is
0: taboo or not? No,
1: it's just not, you know, it's how you worship. The way that the Bible talks about prayer and praying, the way that church talks about it, you know, there's a lot of talking going on with God. <laughs> and I couldn't do that anymore. So there were shifts that happened along the way. Okay. Um, I also led music in church. I led worship for years and years. And I eventually, over time, the songs that I could sing got less and less. Like my library got thinner and thinner because I'm like, I can't say that anymore. Because I don't believe it. I don't believe it. But I can sing these things because they're more general and so on. So I had to strip out music that had theology bedded in them, for example. But I had a, a couple trips to Kenya where I dealt with some of the most poor people on earth that our church was working with. And I saw some of the really, um, I saw some things in Kenya with the church there um, that started to contribute to my sense of of the shortcomings I was seeing in the church and how I I was being shaped for it by it in the US. I just kind of assumed was like, maybe maybe it's because we're so rich here. We have so much money, globally speaking, that we're kind of blind to what God's doing. Mm -hmm. And I saw the same behaviors and struggles with the church happening in the poorest part of the world. And I also came back realizing that I wasn't willing to change my life to help and to do much for people that I saw over there. I kind of acknowledged to myself that I, I wasn't really willing to sacrifice or love those people that were struggling so much, and that to me pointed to there's something about my religion that's not shaping me in a way that's I'm not becoming the kind of person I would like to become. Mm-hmm. And I've I've uncovered all the I've looked under all the rocks. And I've done all the practices. I've done everything, and it's not creating a person that appears to be growing in the in the in, in the depths of love that this religion was talking about. Hmm. So um, I admitted to myself at that point in time that I just don't believe this. I can't give myself any deeper to it.
0: Now, was so. this connected to any sort of major life events? Did you get married? Did you get divorced? Did you lose something that? you know, like usually
1: I'm just not like- a major. Well, I had gotten married a, a little bit before this happened. Okay. And, and my wife went to church with me. Um, she wasn't as into it as I was. So there's some sense in which I think being married gave me a little bit more confidence to walk away. Cause I wasn't going to be completely alone. Mm-hmm. So I may have, that may have contributed to my, 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 confidence or my willingness to take the risk because I knew it was going to be painful. Uh, we ended up getting, we ended up separating, you know, not long after actually. But um, so I was dealing with not, mar- no being married and being, not being part of the church at the same time for a while. So that was a major, that was a bit, ab- was a bit tough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Some people would call that a midlife crisis. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, now we're finally going to get into the juicy stuff. So before I even uh, delve into your own uh, specifics, would you tell for those of us who are listening, like I did not know what these things were? What are psychedelic drugs? What are they? What's that? I know I've seen, you know, psychedelic. Let's give it a definition. Yeah, define. Yeah, them, sure.
1: So one of the challenges in our in our culture is that we put all drugs into one bucket. Drugs are bad for you know, and, and you know, or you do drugs, you get caught, you mess go to up jail, neighborhood. and exactly. they mess things up, right? Yeah. So drugs are all one thing. Uh, psychedelics for most people fall into the category of drugs. Um, and if I had to define it, it's drugs are sort of anything that um, alters your state of consciousness from some angle or another. So I have a broad definition in that mm-hmm. sense. So caffeine's a drug. Sure. Right? Sugar it, is a drug. Sugar is a drug. So Sugar, there, yeah. we, we take drugs all the time. So drugs, but the label of drugs gets applied to things that our culture or the government have, have decided are are bad that you shouldn't do or whatever. So people are doing drugs, quote unquote psychedelics are a subset of that. So they are, um, typically they're, they're more of a plant based, um, compound. So think of shrooms or, um, or, uh, five MEO DMT is a drug that comes from a toad, for example. So they're, they're more natural compounds that have an impact on the way your consciousness is perceiving the world. So psychedelics fall into that category of, um, adjusting of consciousness. Now, something like cocaine certainly adjusts and changes your consciousness, but we, most people wouldn't consider it a psychedelic. And in part because psychedelics, I guess I'm, I'm not an expert in the realm of psychedelics, so I, I wouldn't want people to think of me as that in any sense of the term. I'm I mean, it's kind of going off how I'm yeah. coming to understand. You're
0: them. not an expert. You're someone no, living it. I
1: right. and it. I'm exploring it. I'm trying to understand it. So psychedelics end up being things like, um, well, cannabis for some, most people can consider it a light psychedelic, it has psychedelic cap- capacities in certain contexts. Um, shrooms um, and the things of like Native American, like peyote, those types of things, um, ayahuasca. And so these are things that, that, that take people into alternative modes of consciousness and oftentimes with a goal. To discover something about themselves, to discover something about the world, and, and ideally to integrate that learning that you've done in that journey that you went on through, that, through that, that drug, to integrate it back into your life. So psychedelic communities would talk about skillful and unskillful use of psychedelics. And uh, a skillful use is more of a an intentional integration that you're going to do as part of that taking that drug. Mm. versus something that you're out just doing for fun recreationally. And important things can come from that too. So um, depending, and, and also, you know, struggles can come from that. But things like um, MDMA or Molly or um, would not typically be put in that category, but oftentimes people that talk about psychedelics or are proponents of it or use them, you'll often see that there is some experience they also have with, with MDMA or with ketamine, for example, they're not necessarily considered a psychedelic, but they kind of get lumped in there because well, people use them for integration purposes.
0: What are ketamines?
1: Ketamine. Oh, ketamine. Yeah, it's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, it's called a disassociative. It's a it's a drug that um, I don't even know how to describe it, but it it changes. The, it, again, it's a, it's a consciousness altering experience that it brings on. It's being used for actually depression treatment right now? it may be approved. There's ketamine centers? No, it's no it's it's approved. There's oh. places you can go to now and, and have those have those treatments. Oh
0: interesting.
1: So it's 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 known in that realm.
0: Is that what they call special K? Because I remember yes. when I used to back really when no, I used to go clubbing people were like, Oh, special K, it's K. special K. Yeah. It is special K. I think
1: it's the same thing.
0: Oh, okay. I
1: could be wrong, but okay. I think it's the same Oh wow. Thing. So Mike, yeah.
0: how does such an adorable, good Christian man Get introduced to psychedelics,
1: yeah, and other drugs, right? The whole kit and caboodle.
0: Jeez. Okay, so first of all, how many of all of these examples that you listed, as you were describing what psychedelics do, have you experimented with?
1: Um, everything I listed, except peyote and ayahuasca. Wow. When you go I, in, I haven't. I haven't done those yet. Oh, but yet. No, they're on the they're on the agenda. You got a bucket list. Absolutely.
0: Fucking a. Pardon my friend. <laughs> but okay, yeah. So <laughs> ha, how, how did you... yeah what the fuck are you? How did you um get? Yeah. How how how, how do psychedelics even enter the equation? of So your life? you
1: leave. You walk away from the story of what the world is about, and you're my the age, mid, your my first forty years of you know life. forty mid forties. Okay. And you've been you've you've bought the narrative that drugs are a bad thing. Right there, there you should stay away from them. They harm you. You can get addicted after one, one experience, and all these things. And I realized after about a year or two that it made absolutely no sense that I would take my religious upbringing's perspective on something like all these different drugs that are out there that I'd started to read about even previously about pe- people having. Religious and spiritual experiences taking some of these things and people that are seriously using them to deal with issues in their lives and overcome things. I'm like, why have I demonized all these things? I know my religion and why, why am I not willing to question everything that I was handed? Everything should be rethought out. So why would I not start to look into these things, try to better understand them experience them and decide for myself, what role do these play in my life? So that was the driving force. Um, and at the time I had a roommate and had found that had heard that she goes to, um, music festivals or, 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 um, EDM events or whatever. And they, they do Molly or, um, it's called MDMA obviously, or um, what's the other word? Um, ecstasy. Mm. Technically ecstasy is, is, is MDMA with other stuff in it, typically speed. So it's more of a cocktail when you take an ecstasy, but MDMA is more of the pure thing. So I approached it one day with her and I'm like, Hey, I'm kind of curious of trying. And within two weeks I was at an event and having an experience for the first time, um, other than, other than, um, alcohol. No, actually, now that I'm saying this, I remember I, I explored um, cannabis a little bit. That was your first time. That was the first thing beyond alcohol. I had explored cannabis and I, I'll get back to that in a second, but I realized it was not the thing that everyone made it out to be. And so I begin to ask, are there other things that I should try out to understand for myself what it yields? And, um... That was the beginning of the journey. So I would say that, that that weed was the first thing, you know, that I started to spend a little more time with trying to understand how different strains or dosages or methods of taking it would impact me and what would it, what was my experience from it. And I have a, a my my approach to things is typically tiptoe. I'll tiptoe into little small dosages and then kind of work my way up. So I've been very fortunate in not having any like bad experiences with with any of the stuff that I've done. I, I try to find trusted people that can guide me mm. into into anything new that I that I try.
0: So your being tentative has been a blessing in disguise.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't have you know any bad stories to speak of or bad trips and things like that to to speak of. So I'm fortunate, and I didn't get into this stuff when I was a knucklehead. You know 17 year old for you know, example right? When you don't really know how to approach things And your things brain well.
0: isn't formed yet by the way yeah, has so proven
1: it's, now so, so it's a blessing in disguise right I, I'm approaching this as a much more mature person And kind of deciding How to take each next step And, and leaning on other mature people That are, have gone before me
0: Question Yeah. So you discovered your passion And flow mm. through the use Of psychedelic skills. Would you elaborate on that What is the passion? So let
1: me talk about the passion first. Yes, please. um, Because it's a it's a new topic, and in some ways, why I wanted to tell you about it because it's it's fairly recent. But I had a I had an experience. In um, I went to Burning Man last year, and I was uh, doing yoga in the middle of the afternoon, ninety degrees, sandstorm. Uh, And I'm also have taken a little bit of cannabis before I entered the yoga space, which I actually do fairly frequently now. I find it's it's an amazing experience for me to add that to my exercise and my meditation that goes on with yoga. Very powerful tool in that regard. And I had an experience there where I knew that some I've been struggling with passion or life purpose. And I realized that what I wanted to do is to create environments or experiences where people can learn more about their passion and be empowered to live it out. And then I got that sense while I was doing yoga and cannabis at the same time, it, it sort of came to me and it hit me like a brick. And I just knew that something like that was going to, that it was happening in my life. Fast forward, um, a couple months ago, I'm having a, um, an evening here where I was, um, I actually was, again, I was using cannabis and I actually added a little bit of uh, ketamine. So uh, cocktails is not uncommon for people that explore these different um, things. It's not necessarily the way to do it always, but it put me into an experience where I, for the, well, I'm, I'm gonna be even more vulnerable here. I actually went and decided I look at pornography sometimes and I decided to look at some. And while I was in this state, something remarkable happened. I am watching people do something that I've seen thousands of times. And as a, and I'm glad we covered my history because any, any, anything with sex outside of the marriage bed is really demonized. Right. And I I have years and years of this. In fact, there was a time when I was in grad school that I even went to a 12 step program for, um, sex addiction, because I felt like, well, if I can't stop, you know, having sex when I shouldn't be having sex, I must have an addiction. And they convinced me I must have an addiction. Well, year, you know, year or two later, I ended up talking to a counselor and she's like, Mike, I've counseled people with addictions you don't, you, don't it. you just like to,
0: you're fuck. just a healthy, you just man. like to have
1: sex and your culture and your religion is throwing you into a box and you're struggling with that box. I was like, Oh my gosh, really? Mm-hmm. So that changed everything. So fast forward to this, this situation here, even though intellectually, I was like, I'm okay with what I'm watching here. There's still an underlying filter that's going on of like, how can they do this? How can they let people see them do this? How can Why, why, why do I still want to watch? Like, there's all this judgment that's going on, even though intellectually I'm saying it's technically okay for me. Well, this concoction, this cannabis ketamine connect thing, it took me to, it had changed my consciousness in the moment. And I started watching something for the first time without a judgment of right and wrong, good and evil. And I was just watching people do, do things. Like I'm watching people ride by on bikes. I have no judgment when I see someone riding a bike. They're just riding a bike, and I saw that activity for the first time in my life without
0: any a judgment,
1: nothing beyond it. And it has been—it was a life-changing experience. It was liberating. It was very liberating because what it, what I realized is is that I realized how much of my Deciding what I'm going to do day to day, week to week in my life. How am going to change? How am I, what? I'm going to do for work? What I'm going to all of it? How I? It all goes through a cultural, religious filter. We get. Um. Uh, we get shaped at the earliest levels in our lives, and some people talk about domestication. Yeah, our we tribes. Get, yeah, we get domesticated, and it. it I realized what it would, what it would be like to live without that domestication. I got touched, I touched on it for a minute and it, what has happened is it has realized that if you can be in tune intimately with your intuition, um, and your urges about what you want to do and what you desire in life, and you can touch base, touch it pre-filter if you can catch it without all the analyzing going on, because all the analyzing is where all all that stuff comes in, you start to have a more true connection to your truest, deepest desires. And when you can connect with that, you start to get more aware of what it is you want to be about as opposed to what you've been sold that you should be about. So I now have a very clear sense that um, we've talked a little bit in the past about that I'm starting a yoga studio that's centered around um, meditation in the context of yoga and using cannabis in the mix of that to help people drop into a, a level of meditation. That's really hard to get to on an average day where you sit down and meditate for 10 minutes. It's, it's very difficult to do that for most people. You have to throw a lot of tools to slow the mind down. So um, that, that passion for that sort of practice has, has magnified as a result of getting more in tune with what I desire without questioning it. And the other is somehow being a part of liberating people in our culture that judge themselves for wanting to have sex. And we see, uh, we see orgasm as just this odd thing that humans experience. We don't give it any purpose. We don't give it anything really, except that it just feels good. And if all of life is sacred, all the things that we experience have the capacity to put us in tune with who we are, what the world is about, how to relate to other people. Um, We should take seriously everything we experience as having a role. And something as profound as humans having orgasms, our culture has nothing to say about this. Our religions have nothing to say about it. It's just big, weird fact, thing. it's
0: judged as being bad. Well. Outside of the, you know. Especially if
1: it's outside of a sacrament. Of but even sac- I mean, even in sacrament of marriage, it's like, what's the purpose? To no procreate. One, no, yeah, but why do women have them? They don't need to have an orgasm to procreate. So it it just, no one knows what to do with this. And I suspect, maybe we'll talk in five years and this becomes more clear that there's a possible connection between understanding the power of orgasm and what it creates in a person and how, um, how we are growing spiritually in our lives. Let's put it. And and by spiritually, I mean, just growing as a person to understand ourselves in the world, who we are.
0: Right.
1: So back to the so yes. there's some passions emerging here that are becoming very interesting for me that I've I've never explored and it, it's, it's, it's these experiences on on these psychedelics that is is creating that space. It's
0: created some opening and flow for you.
1: It's giving me you the ability to re to look at things differently,
0: right? And be let, not judgmental, right? Right. Okay. Right. You. I, I'm curious as to that experience when you were watching the porn, and you realized for the first time, oh my, I have no judgment right now. I'm just watching as if I'm watching, you know, the wind blow this curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you? Are you able to then translate that into your daily life with ease? Because you've had a breakthrough. Do you are you suddenly judging less? Like what was? I is this am, an ongoing thing now because you've had
1: that break? Well, what's happened is, since then is I have, I've ramped up my meditation practice. So, As in? well, I I've, I've had a meditation practice for about probably three years, and it's you know something like five days a week, thirty minutes in the morning, something like that. And then yoga for me, when I practice yoga, is a meditation. It's just a moving meditation, right? Good. So it's it's a pretty deep thing for me, and I'm now finding myself practicing not only that but adding evenings in several nights a week and the the reason that i'm finding myself drawn to that is because now that i understand that my my in, the deepest of my desires the deepest of who i am and and my in my psyche has been a bit hidden from me because of all the shaping The only way to one way, I shouldn't say the one way to foster awareness of what it is I truly want and desire and how I want to be in the world is to be, is to create stillness. So that when I sense a change in my disposition, I sense a change in my desires or my urge, or I have an idea. um, If the internal waters, if you will, are calm, um, I feel it quickly, more quickly. If it's, busy inside and all turbulent, I, I don't notice it. Mm. So I'm, I'm now wanting to be more in tune with what it is I'm desiring at any moment in time and becoming more confident that I should trust it. Mm. And before I, everything goes through a processing before I'm going to do anything with it. And I'm now realizing that processing ha, can become, and in many ways has become a liability mm. for me. How so? Awesome. Well, if, if, if you process and analyze every thought you have about something, about what am I going to do here, it ends up getting shaped and influenced by all that domestication. If I go more with the gut and an intuition and my, my, my what am I really wanting here? I'm finding that that's going to probably be the more um, authentic and 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 life-giving path even if it results in in something i didn't expect Mm. so i'm more motivated now to be able to hear it than i was even even before i was always kind of drawn to the the stillness practices in that sense of of that but i'm now more drawn to it
0: hey listeners The term self-care is thrown around a lot these days, and deservedly so. And I think we can all agree that mental health is part of self-care. And one of the many reasons we tell ourselves is lack of time and money. Well, BetterHelp.com is the world's largest counseling service. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed, accredited, and board-certified therapist in under 24 hours. Therapy from the comfort of your own space. What could be better than that? You can schedule weekly video sessions or phone sessions with your own personal counselor you can log into your account at any time from anywhere to send a message to your counselor and better makes it easy and free to change your counselor if you ever needed to um it's very affordable it's more affordable than traditional Offline counseling and financial aid is available. So get started today, and you, as a What the Fockery listener, get ten percent off your first month at BetterHelp.com/fockery10. forward Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash Fockery10. In fact, use Fockery10 as a promo code and discount code anytime and anywhere you um, use our sponsors. Okay, back to our program. And now for the martini. The martini? Yes. So you identify as bisexual. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. so what the martini was. <laughs> um, you know, I, before I have talked about it now, I wouldn't have articulated to anybody that that's the case.
0: Well, I'm honored, I'm a, as are my listeners. Yeah, Thank this you. is
1: a maiden voyage here on that topic. Oh
0: my gosh.
1: Uh, yes. So I'll, I'll, first before I, I should clarify by what I mean by that. Oh. Um, um, I've been heterosexual my entire life. I've, I've never had any interest in anything beyond that. It's never even been in, in my frame of reference, actually. But, um, uh, so bisexuality for me at this time, I am comfortable with transsexuals. So that's a woman with a penis. Now, that I'm more, that I can, I can participate in. I don't have a lot of experiences with it. Yeah, actually, in physically speaking, there's, I I do have a few experiences with it. Um, so it's not a driving center, center part of my sexuality. Um, but the fact that I am okay with, um, sex with someone that has a cock, that for most people lands in the bisexual camp.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So that's what I would, that's what I would call bisexuality. In, in that sense. Sure. I'm, I'm not um, attracted to being with men, for example. So
0: if, a, if a someone presents completely as male visually and has the part, that's not necessarily your back. No. But if they present as female, oh, and they happen to have a penis, you're okay with that. Potentially. Potentially.
1: Yeah. It depends on, it would dep- not anybody, but it would depend. And they typically, for me, it has to be a very attractive, like there's a term called passable.
0: Okay. So
1: if, a, if you wouldn't necessarily know that that woman has <laughs> a schlong, a schlong um, that's more, that would be more inclined to what I could could be attracted to. Now,
0: and you know, I don't
1: date transsexuals or anything like that at this point, but it's just, I'm saying I've had experiences and I'm I'm okay with it.
0: Okay, so now, so the psychedelics and all of your microdosing, I'm guessing, uh, has has led you to being able to come to term with that, or it turned it around. No. It opened well, I wouldn't, you up.
1: I wouldn't throw in microdosing. That's a different. That's a different topic. That's not related to that. Oh, sorry. No, no. I'm saying is yeah. some people know exactly what. Like that's that's a particular thing, and I do have a little experience with it, but that didn't play into this. Okay. Um, I'm
0: just trying to get the correlation with the psychedelics and
1: sure. So what what I realized is that well, I had a I had a moment years ago where it came to me where I was like, if a person wants to have a lot of sex and they don't have a lot of sex, one of the one of the things you can do is broaden what you find sexy, expand what your options are, ah. and you know it wasn't that that i never i didn't have options i've always had had options and so on but i realized that i would be okay if i had a broader like i imagine like man if if i was fully bisexual if i liked guys and girls and i didn't have a You'd problem get laid every with, night. and i didn't have a problem with it in some spiritual sense like isn't that awesome right like you can go either way you can have a lot of experiences and I was like, man, if I could push in that direction a little bit, like that could be interesting. Um, and so I started, um, I realized that I could use uh, the combination of, of of cannabis and pornography to shape my mind. I could enter a state where my mind was altered and I could um, watch various scenes, and over time become more comfortable with what I was seeing. Um, And this actually played itself out in a different way, uh, sexually speaking, as I had a a relationship several years ago where we decided we wanted to explore the swinger environment. And again, I left religion and I said, (laughs) everything about life needs to be rethought. Why am I willing to not consider other aspects of sexuality anymore? Who Who is telling me that's bad or wrong? So that's where this all comes in. Well, swing in the swinger environment, you have to kind of be okay with your partner maybe being with another person. And I really had a struggle with that. And I found that using that strategy of, of, of being high, and at that time, I only knew cannabis. I wasn't experienced with other psychedelics. I think those could play a role, but I can't speak to that. But for me, when, it, when I entered that altered state, I started envisioning my girlfriend, if you will, doing things that I was watching on screen. And over time, and sort of being turned on in the midst of it. And over time, about a few months later, I became okay with it. And we ended up exploring that, that territory for a few years. And, and that's actually what happened. I became very comfortable with her being with other men, other women, other women. Um, and did she
0: identify as bisexual? She did. She did. Correct.
1: So I applied that same logic to the, uh, transsexual space, um, more out of curiosity. And I think I had an experience once where I was watching it and it, 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 a scene came up that I wasn't even expecting and found myself like, Oh damn, that was confusing what I just saw. But I decided to lean into it a little bit. Because I'm at the in this process of my life of exploring everything and let, letting everything be more sort of objectively open to things,
0: my love. What's your end game?
1: Complete awakening as a person, complete being in complete tune with what my the thing I want to create in the world, how I want to shape and make my mark on the world, and in a way that. Allows me to, to unconditionally love as deeply as possible myself and everybody that I encounter. And that that love that I am experiencing, I can help other people experience it and understand it themselves. Mm. Uh, to be complete at peace in the world with no fear of loss, rejection, possession, pain, death. That's my end game. And I, I don't... I call that awakening. I call that enlightenment. I don't know what way you want to call it, but that's what I'm after. Um, I don't know how all this stuff fits into it, but I am wanting to leverage any tool that we've learned that can help us grow in our sense of acceptance of self and understanding of the world and embracing our unity with all that is there to be had. That's what i i'm I'm seeking, and i'm I'm willing to look under every fucking dark corner I can.
0: I see that, yeah, do you realize that in that those last few what is it minute mm-hmm. you pretty much written and I'm glad uh, you'll get to hear this uh your mission statement, you now have a one a beautifully worded mission statement as I listened to you, I started to well up a little bit,
1: mm-hmm. so. Take that. Mm-hmm. I'm There's- glad you asked the question. Yeah. Because it really all stems from that. It's, and I've had that pursuit even when I was a young boy. I've known that I wanted to be in tune with what reality is about. I wanted to be fully present to people and cared about people. And that's why my religion kind of just fell short it kind of ran, it ran its course. Yeah. And and, you've gotten as far as had nothing else to offer.
0: Listen, it's so now there's
1: other communities, right. That Mm -hmm. offer other things. Mm
0: -hmm. And a lot
1: of those things are very powerful. And I'm just touching on what the psychedelic community has to offer.
0: And it's like with relationships and marriages and friendships. At some point it runs its course and there's very, you know, you get as far as you're going to get with someone. And that doesn't mean that you stop loving. You just, you know, you hit a wall. And you just need to, you know, go to the door
1: instead of banging your head against that yeah. wall, right? I wanted to say one more thing about psychedelics. Yes, before please. You, like, before you'll give you a chance to think of where, where you want to go next. Someone recently described psychedelics to me as um, think of think of your think of your life and your reality, your, everything you're perceiving as a screen. And you've got a control board in front of you and you have all kinds of knobs, and if you turn different knobs, it changes the lights. it changes the emotions, it changes how this thing looks. It messes with your perception of things. There's all these little buttons and psychedelics mess with all those things. Different psychedelics mess with them in different ways. But in the middle of this control panel, there's a very large button. And when that moves, it, it broadens your awareness of reality. So you become aware of things that you're normally not aware of. You know, our mind, aware. our mind is only aware of our conscious mind is only aware of so much information. And when you move that center button, it starts to mess with the, what, what you become aware of. And so all psychedelics move that center button and that, that center dial a little bit or a lot, but they also move a lot of the little ones along with it. So some psychedelics have visuals, some don't. Some make you more emotional, some don't. Um, but all psychedelics mess with that center button of awareness. And the deeper you dose or the stronger the psychedelic, the farther that awareness button turns. And some people would say that, that 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 button can turn infinitely. Meaning it keeps going. Like the deeper you go in the psychedelic paths, it doesn't end. Like it keeps revealing more and more things to you. And so I think it's... Um, when you skillfully with people that can guide you and you integrate what you're coming back from those experiences, you can have these intense moments of realization of things. And then you come back to you come back to your sober state and you don't forget what you thought in that moment. Well, kind of like the, the experience I had of seeing people have sex with no judgment. I didn't come back off ketamine and weed and forget that happened. I'm very aware of what that was like and I can't forget it anymore. So you bring back things and figure out how to change your daily life to better suit a clear perspective of something you've now learned.
0: Is, is that better than the reality Sons the stimulation?
1: In other words, better? without
0: the reality of, I'm assuming at the time of this recording right now that you have nothing in your system or do you? I don't know.
1: One glass of wine.
0: Okay fine an
1: hour ago so very little
0: very yeah, little all right so this reality right now does mm-hmm. it pale in comparison to when you've thrown in a psycho psychotropic drug
1: pale does it pale in comparison not necessarily okay no i mean i've i've had psychedelic trips um, i had one where i was i worked with a therapist that guided me through a a shroom a mushroom, mm-hmm. a magic mushroom, you know, which is the drug in that is psilocybin. Um, um, I did what's called a hero's dose. It was a lot, like five grams and laid on my floor. They played music and I, I I went through that for six hours and I had an eye mask on. It was very unremarkable, but I had some very emotional and eye-opening realizations intellectually and emotionally. Um, in fact, I, I, I have this new group of friends that I met about a year ago that have helped create the environment where I can explore things, not just sexually, like things we're talking about, but psychedelics and other things like, and they, they don't care. Like they unconditionally just care about me. So it's created a, an opportunity for me to explore a little more not feel like I'm going to be judged. And I had the deepest sense, um, at, in the midst of this journey. That I love this group of people more than I've ever loved anybody outside my family. Hmm. And I love my family, and so it's, it's different. It. It's my chosen family, right? But it, I was so floored by how much these people mean to me. And I knew after that journey, like I was going to invest in these relationships at an even deeper level than I had before. Um, so, and you come back to your, you come back to my sober reality and there's nothing like you know I had an emotional and an intellectual awakening on a on a, on a on a thing in my life so that's you know but it didn't like my it didn't feel like my consciousness had changed but yet you feel and think in a different manner you you it opens up things in you um, you have ideas and then when people take intense psychedelics and really intense stuff that really, like ayahuasca trips or there's DMT that people use that, that when you can take some of these and you don't even know you're you anymore. So that's a very different level of a, of a trip that you're, that you're on. But, um, some people do want to do, you know, they want to be in that state a lot, but quite honestly, most of the people that I know that do psychedelics there, it's not something you don't want to be in that state all the time.
0: You don't. So no. it's, it's not addictive.
1: No. no. In fact, psychedelics are by nature, not addictive. Mm. Um, in fact, they're, you know, back in the '50s, '60s, we were using psychedelics to treat alcoholism and you know a few other things like that because it's actually anti-addictive because it, it they they open you up to why it is you're doing what you're doing and you start to see it more honestly and people walk away from these things going like it doesn't they real I realize the damage it does it's doing to them or or they realize it doesn't serve them anymore. So it can, it can open you up to think about things from a different angle and open up sort of new patent. They call it new neural pathways. It allows you to to think about things in a different side. And so that different perspective, that's, I think that's the key. It's just an altered perspective on yourself, what you've been doing. It can change all that. Mm.
0: Brilliant. Um, you almost make me want to experiment, Mike.
1: Well, the important thing is to experiment with someone that you trust that guides you into places where you feel safe. That's the best place where psychedelics work is when you have a proper mindset as to why you want to do it and the environment and the setting that you're creating to do it in is, is, is built for that. Mm -hmm. You create the opportunity to have a beautiful experience, even if it's emotional at times. Um, but to walk away with a, a new a new lease on what you want to be about.
0: Mm.
1: At least that's what I'm experiencing. It'll and be it's
0: different for everyone. It's
1: actually. different for everyone. Everyone it, it plays itself out differently for everybody because it's like it's very custom, right, to you. Because it's it's it starts to break the barrier down between your conscious thinking mind and your unconscious world, and it starts to let you have access to some of that stuff. So a lot of times when people have bad trips their mind was finally willing to let something come to light. So something comes up and people struggle and have a bad time with it. And if they didn't have the right set or setting, it could be tough. But if you're in an environment that's more therapeutic or supportive, you can now work through that topic that just came up, that you've been slamming down and burying for years. Um, Psychedelics kind of loosen it up a little bit and things can start popping through.
0: All right, and and this is going to be the final question for this evening, or this interview, this conversation. Um, it almost sounds luxurious, Mike. Is this uh, an expensive exploration? I'm just thinking. I can't help but think about the average person um, who may not have access to that. Is this something that's an expensive? Is it? A, is it a? Is it a luxury to be able to?
1: Um, I would say it's, I know people that are not making that much money that, that are doing this. It has to become a priority. For example, um, if you want to do a multiple hour journey with someone that's trained, you, you may, you may spend two or $300 to have that experience. Um, but they're spending four and five, six hours with you. So that makes kind of, it makes sense. So it's not that expensive in that regard. So you save up for a few months and you have a two or $300 experience. Now you can go other directions and have friends that are more experienced and you're going to maybe do some shrooms with some friends and they're going to kind of be with you. You're, the cost of the shrooms is negligible. Maybe you might spend 40 or 50 bucks.
0: Where does one even get shrooms?
1: You, know, you it's, know, it's all underground. Obviously everything has to be underground right now. I mean, you know, if you go to Oakland, you can buy them. But here in LA, it's still underground. So you have to meet people and trust people. And eventually things start to present themselves as people know they can trust you and so on. So you just start meeting people. And over time, those openings happen. Mm -hmm. So you can go to there. There's meetup groups where people talk about psychedelics and their integration and how they're doing with them and how, how they're leveraging those, you know, those, those things. And over time, people will start to trust you and talk to you and, you know, you'll, you'll start to find opportunities.
0: Yeah, Mike, how can I thank you? Uh, thank you for being here. I, I know some of my listeners may want to get a hold of you for whatever reason. Maybe they want to become part of your tribe. Um, do you care to share social media handles maybe or... I mean, they will be in the show notes and it's only if you're comfortable with doing that. Otherwise,
1: I'm um, fine. Yeah. I've got, I've got two, uh, websites that eventually will, will come online, um, that I can share that. So one is called Celestial Yoga. S-O-U-L. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. E-S-T-I-A-L. Yoga. And that's the, that's the, uh, the events that, that, that will be publicizing the events where we integrate yoga, sound, meditation, cannabis, and, and, and a meal and community afterwards. So it's kind of a,
0: <clears throat> I get it. Yeah. It's a day. It's,
1: event. it's, it's, it's a few hour event versus like a one hour yoga class. <clears throat> and the other one, I don't know where this is going to go, but it's, um, it's, um, um, orgasm and meditation.com.
0: I'm glad you already got that registered because someone's gonna snatch it up. Oh, it's outside. registered. Okay, good. It's registered. Yeah, no, um, but for you. So I'll you have some. To,
1: some basic content. I'm just. Can someone as, go cyberstalk as, you?
0: Somewhere? As I
1: mentioned, you know, no, I'm not. I don't have any other social media presence at all. I'm not really a social media. You don't media. do
0: Insta or Facebook and any of that garbage.
1: I mean, I have a Facebook account where I meet, hang with friends and stuff, but it's not like. Um, I don't even know right now how they would find. I mean, Mike Thomas in Los Angeles. <laughs>
0: and okay, that's but, such a like a, yeah i mean a name <laughs> yeah um
1: yeah, I mean, but I, I will i will by the time this okay. airs i'll have some some ways to contact me over those two websites people can submit and get in touch with me or whatever that's
0: okay but um, well, we will then, have oh, a picture there tomorrow. is one
1: more i can and also i'll give you my email address
0: okay we can um, keep a listeners so if you so, want to send him an email and uh, read him the riot act uh, or or ask him out on a date or um <laughs> whatever it is, <laughs> bitch me out
1: for being, crazy, <laughs> for being crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's okay, funny. so that email will be available.
1: Yeah, I'll put it in the notes too. All yeah. right. Okay,
0: so Mikey, do you like being called Mikey?
1: It's it's very it's very infrequent. I mean, that it doesn't happen very much. You don't like. You it. You get it though. You you can have it.
0: Oh, thank you. So how do you say goodbye in an adorable way to whomever means something to you?
1: How do I say goodbye? I'm not sure. Do
0: you have a sweet way that you say goodbye? Um, See, now this is something all of my guests do. They have to share how they say goodbye, and they get to say goodbye that way to my listeners. So any of your lovers or or, or family, you just go, peace, dot, bye, get out of here.
1: All you beautiful people out there.
0: See you later. Smell you later.
1: We'll see you on the flip side. (laughs) (laughs) No, No, it's been it's been it's been wonderful talking with you.
0: You say namaste. Get the fuck out of my namaste, motherfucker.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Namaste you later.
0: Namaste you later. I like that. All right, listeners. Namaste you later. You can say namaste you later.
1: Namaste you later.
0: Bye. (laughs) Bye. Okay, maybe not. Why don't you hop on over to our Instagram page right now, my listeners, my lovers, my puppies, my kittens, my schmoopies, and follow and see what our guests look like and all the fockeries we get into over on Insta. Also, we now have a Facebook page and everything is what the fuckery. So, what the fuckery Twitter, what the fuckery Instagram, what the fuckery Facebook. You can't go wrong. You can even what the fuckery at gmail.com. Okay, now officially, bye.